Welcome to the One Arm Minute, where we continue our hard target search for fun facts through the minutes of the 1993 action classic, The Fugitive. I'm Susan. And I'm Roger. And this is minute number 24 of The Fugitive. And wrapping up this week with us on this glorious Friday is Sean German from Spinal Tap Minute, Groundhog Minute, and five minutes of mime. You can't see me, but I'm miming. All right, gather around, listeners. We're shutting it down. You <laughs> <laughs> get a little Wyatt Earp here. So, Wyatt <laughs> welcome back, Sean. Thank you for returning. Oh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Minute number 24 starts with Sheriff Rollins using a file folder as a weapon. You got to watch out for paper cuts. They will get you. Mm-hmm. And ends with Gerard paying homage to the film career of Jean-Claude Van Damme. Wow. Yeah, that joke landed about the way that I thought it was. That was that was my hard target joke. <laughs> but oh, no, no, no. Don't, don't, Sean, don't even give me a pity laugh. It's okay. I'm a big boy. I can take my medicine like a man. Yeah. So, so we're not actually, so, and, and can we just, so can the three of us sort of, just sort of agree now, let's just pretend that this minute ends right before he says what I want as a hard target, because I mean, we're going to, we're going to talk about that on Monday's show. And I don't think the beginning part of that sentence really carries a lot of weight until you get to all the places. That's he the wants exciting to... part of that. Yeah. So maybe we just kind of cut it off like two seconds before yeah. the end of the minute. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, All right. Well, thanks for listening. Not <laughs> everyone. Not fifty-eight seconds, Sean. Two seconds. Two seconds. Okay. No, there is there is quite a bit that happens this minute before yeah. we get to that point. Yeah. So, I first note is that Sheriff Rollins is asking for a put down. He, <laughs> he has a hard target on his forehead. <laughs> oh wow. Well, he did a lot of forehead too. We haven't done that, but my man Nick Cersei, you could you could fry eggs on that forehead. Yeah, and that's with the hairpiece. Exactly. My first note is that I feel like, you know, you often hear that different law enforcement agencies sometimes have a hard time cooperating. And this is certainly a minute that gives credence to that uh, that understanding. Is that something that happens in real life or is it just oh, like yeah. some movies? Yeah. Well, I mean. People like, don't like people stepping on their territory, right? Like the whole reason why we have the Department of Homeland Security is because before that, the FBI wouldn't talk to the CIA, wouldn't talk to the DIA. And like they all had business pieces of information and everybody wanted to like be in control. Yeah. And then not sharing information because they think like, well, I don't want to share it with them because it's my information and I found it and it's mine. I've never worked in those agencies. Sean, when you were working for the CIA, <laughs> what was your experience when you ever had to deal with like the DIA? No, I'm just kidding. But like, I mean, I, it's... It seems realistic to me that they might have this kind of turf war. Well, I wonder how much, what does this sheriff know about U.S. Marshals? Now, I know these days, we obviously, we know a great deal about U.S. Marshals, particularly because of Tommy Lee Jones, <laughs> because of this <laughs> film and in a film called U.S. Marshals. That's his enduring legacy. He's informed the public about U.S. Marshals. But I'm thinking, well, certainly myself personally, um, not being in law enforcement at this time, I probably didn't know that U.S. Marshals were a thing. I knew like the FBI in terms of, you know, kind of federal U.S. government level law enforcement. I knew about the FBI. I wouldn't have known what a U.S. Marshal was or what they did. Um, So I kind of wonder, even, you know, this sheriff, does he like, does he know who he's dealing with? Because he hasn't seen the fugitive yet. 
<laughs> right. Because, yeah, he hasn't seen the fugitive. He doesn't know U.S. Marshals have this reputation of, like, they're, um, you know, they're, they're hard-nosed, all business, just the facts. And, you know, they're going to get after it. And, you know, once they kind of catch a scent, they're bloodhounds. Once they catch the scent, you know, they always get their man. Um, but I haven't looked this up. U.S. Marshals are predominantly responsible for prisoner transfers and stuff like that, aren't they? Is that well, what they're? That's what they're doing. So you know they're responsible for a lot of things, and this is this is actually a note that I passed over on a previous minute um, because I think uh, one of the things perhaps that hasn't aged well in this movie is kind of the perception of the U.S. Marshals. Because um, you're right, Sean. Like this, this movie is the uh, what's the best analogy that I'm looking? Like, what's another movie that takes a profession? Like this movie is the backdraft of U.S. Marshals. Um, <laughs> and yes, they spend a lot of time transporting prisoners. But yes, they also work very hard to try to find escaped fugitives. Um, I'm not sure that in this day and age they are often seen as. Uh, and I don't want to stake out too political uh, a stance here. There are some who feel like perhaps they are very aggressive in their tactics. Let's just put it that way, which makes sense. You know, it makes sense uh, why we get this wider preference here. I mean, that's totally understandable. I I love the response to that comment from uh, from from Tommy Lee Jones because to me, someone saying you know pointing at someone else and going that's very funny while looking completely serious is endlessly funny to me <laughs> like that's very funny <laughs> well that's i mean that's yet another example of where tommy lee jones is at his funniest when he tells half a joke yeah because he, he he's so serious he looks so serious as he said that's yeah why well, it's very funny <laughs> i was just curious for you all yeah. um since this is not uh since this is the fugitive minute um but like what is I'm sure you all are familiar with who Wyatt Earp is. Does anybody need the quick 30-second precinct? Do you no. want to give it to the audience just in case they don't know who they are? I mean, I think most of us <laughs> know Wyatt Earp, famous Wild West lawman, was involved in the gunfight at the OK Corral. Okay, that's enough. Mm -hmm. um, my question for the two of you is, who is your favorite Wyatt Earp? There's only one answer to this question. There are lots of answers to this question. No, no. There's only what? one right answer to this question. Okay, well, what's your answer? Kurt Russell. And you, Sean? Uh, yeah, you kind of got to go with Kurt Russell. I just, to kind of, there's like a, he's got, White Orb has a, you know, a popular culture page in Wikipedia that I'm quickly perusing just to refresh my memory. And I'm going to guess over under, there are at least 20 uh, different performances of White Orb on that page. But I would guess out of that 20, probably 15 of them are prior to 1960. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, pr primarily pre nineteen sixty, a couple like late sixties, early seventies. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but I would I would say you know maybe Val Kilmer. Wait, in what? Um, oh, in, in Wyatt Earp's Revenge in oh. twenty twelve. Hold on, Val Kilmer played Wyatt Earp. That's amazing. Was that his quest to play every single member of <laughs> the Earp Clan or the Earp Clan? Yeah. Like it's like first I'm gonna play. First, I'm going to play Doc Holliday, then I'm going to play Wyatt Earp, then I'm going to play Virgil, then I'm going to play Morgan, then I'm going to play Maddie in an ex exciting gender-bending role. <laughs> um, well, okay, I'm three for three. It's Kurt Russell for me, too. Shout out to the Tombstone Minute. Shout out to the Midnight Boys. What a great podcast. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I, I actually quite like Kevin Costner. I know it's not a, necessarily a popular opinion, 
I like but Kevin Costner. I like Kevin Costner fine. Not it, not that movie. Wyatt Earp movie. Oh, Rikes. Yeah, it's like I mean, it, you, this isn't this isn't Wyatt Earp minute, but I agree with you 100. percent It's like yeah. suppose you decided to remake Tombstone, but without any of the fun. Yeah, take out all the jokes, <laughs> any of the fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm done with uh, uh, Wyatt Earp. So I have a note here that um, Sam really invades Old Guard's personal space. <laughs> And I, I'm sure that's one of his tactics. He gets right, he puts his arm around him. He looks, he's like, he's the inches nose to nose. He's like, tell me the truth here, buddy. So why do you think he's doing that? I mean, there's two possibilities. One, he's trying to make uncomfortable. Two, he realizes that uh, Old Guard is essentially a piece of furniture. And so he might as well just use him for support. Three, he knows that Old Guard is on camera. And so he really wants to just make sure that the TV cameras capture what an idiot this guy has turned out to be. Or four, none of the above. Like, why does he do this? I think like he has some pretty intense eye contact with Old Guard. And I think Old Guard has a really hard time lying to him while he's got that intense Donnelly Jones gaze focused on him. Which does lead to uh, uh, two of the best lines in the movie, which is the one where Pool. So this is really Pool, uh, a great week for Pool. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where Pool we'll says, aside. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So d- it's got off to a bad start, but she finishes <laughs> strong. This is where she says, "Care to revise your statement?" Holding up the picture of Kimball. Yep. And then he's like, "What?" And huh? then uh, St. <laughs> says, "Like, you know, you want to change your BS story." And he's like patting him on the shoulder while he's telling him all this. It's great. It's so literally great. patting him. He patted a number of shoulders. So many shoulders have been patted in this week. That's so great. And there's a guy, I don't know if you've noticed the guy standing like right behind him. <laughs> them with a kind of, <laughs> yeah. Standing right behind. Oh, you mean the guy in the fur hat who looks like he's like a Russian Cossack officer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he looks, huh? He's framed right between their two heads at the beginning of the minute. It's quite funny. Yeah, that is good. Like, oh, so this is what police work looks like. <laughs> He's like, oh, if if that's... It, it's like that scene in Monty Python when they decide if someone's a witch. And he's like, "Yeah, oh, if the leg iron is supposed to go around the leg and there's no leg, Legs in then the prisoner... Is a witch? Ah, burn him! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like that. Um can I just add one little tiny note? I really enjoy the sound work with the leg irons in this minute. Like they love I, the jingle jangle in this I, movie, don't they? I, I think it's Biggs, or it might be Sam. Oh no, well, no, it's Sam. Sorry, they give. Of course, Sam should get this moment when Sam essentially does this chandelier drop of like letting the <laughs> leg irons hang out. I love that sound work. Oh yeah, every time there is uh, like these kind of leg irons and handcuffs and all that in this movie, they go all out on the jingle jingle. Well, we say every time. I'm pretty sure. To, I'm pretty sure today is the last time we're ever going to see leg irons in the future. Probably. Yeah. But uh, so a shout out to uh, Mary Jo Lang, who was the Foley mixer on the Fugitive. Good job there. Like, yeah, good job. Hundred percent. I have another note that says uh, Sam may not remember names. But he does math without without counting on his fingers. <laughs> oh yeah. So, before we get to that, I mean, that is really sort of the climax of this minute. Mm-hmm. Can I go back and talk about a couple of things that happened before that? Sure. Um, we have not. I, I feel like we really haven't done enough talking about Sheriff Rollins in this minute. And my favorite part of Sheriff Rollins in this minute is his righteous indignation. Like the the fact that he turns around, he's like. 
what are you talking about? You told me 10 minutes ago that this man had died. And now you're telling me, like, he's like, he's trying desperately to, like, reclaim the legal high ground and be like, it's not my fault that I'm an idiot. This guy gave me bad information. Well, I'm getting, like, big Han Solo vibes. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my but on the to be fair, Han Solo was not tracking a fugitive. It was he was just trying to get his ship to work. Yeah, he was the fugitive. He was the fugitive. That is fair. That's fair. Okay. I, I just wanted to make sure that we talked about Nick Cersei because this is uh, sadly the last minute also I believe that we are going to see. Well, he might be in the next minute, but he's not important. Like yeah. this, is, this is Nick Cersei's last time to shine in The Fugitive. So I, I just wanted to make sure we gave him his proper send-off. And uh, Poole still doing great gum-chewing work at this minute. <laughs> I got a question. Do you all think that's real gum? And I'll tell you why I'm asking this question in a minute. Is Poole actually chewing something? I think she's chewing gum. Yeah, I think she's chewing gum. Because, so so listeners, since you've listened to these episodes- Here it comes. And it has made you uh, go back and re-listen to all of the Speed movie minute with me and my co-host, Bentley Michaels. So two interesting things about Speed. Keanu Reeves' decision to chew gum, and you see him chewing gum in almost every minute of the movie, was an entirely improvised decision by the actor. And it's not actually gum. He's doing this thing with like his tongue where it's just like, like he's faking it for the whole movie. I'm not even kidding. That's you just ruined speed. Thanks a lot. So, but I, I'm, he's acting. He's I think like L, I think L Scott Caldwell is a method uh, actor. And so I believe she's, I, I will co-sign that opinion. I think that's real gum. There is a move she makes where it looks like she rolls the gum from one side of her mouth to the other, and that's where I think it's actually real gum. No, and I, I will say if you <laughs> if you if you flash back to minute twenty two, mm-hmm. she is chewing. Now I don't see anything if she is you know if she's pantomiming if it's you know if she's faking the gum you know she could be faking it in that minute as well. But uh, I'm wondering if there's a website. I know there's a website. I haven't actually visited it myself, but I've heard it mentioned on other podcasts. Is the gum real dot com? Yes, the, like, is, uh, the other web, the other website I'm thinking of is the one that like, is there something in the cup? What? There's a website where like every time someone drinks in a movie, it's whether there's actually liquid in the cup when they drink because you can tell when there's not. Like, it's so bad in a lot of movies where just like I'm drinking, look at me, I'm drinking, and it's so. Is, is there an internet movie gum database? Oh, the I IMG- what guy The IMGDB. <laughs> Susan, I was about to say that some people have too much time on their hands, but then I realized that we are now currently recording minute twenty-four <laughs> on our minute. Hot, so you met the kiddos. <laughs> I also have too much time on my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I, Susan, I do have a question for you, Susan. Yeah. Um, so, because you, I think, do a good job of figuring out all this stuff. Huh. Um. As soon as like everybody starts to get going with all this stuff, mm-hmm. Cosmo, this is where Cosmo shanghai's all the local cops. No, so what I think happens here, okay, is pool. Uh, Sam orders Pool to set up their operations center at the top of the hill next to a fire truck. Okay, so that I think what uh, Cosmo is doing here is he's rounding up the help. He's gonna get like five. He's like you, 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 and you come with me. And I think he says something else, but you don't hear what I couldn't hear what the last word was, so I couldn't tell what it was. I'm pretty sure it's fax machine. Yeah, <laughs> probably or satellite phone. Could be satellite phone. We don't know. 
So I think he's getting her help because she's going to have to set up like a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to see in later minutes that she sets up like, you know, a tent. There's a truck that appears out of nowhere. Um, there's stuff is happening up at the top of this hill at their operations center. So I think he's just like, you, 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 you go with her. Do you think, and I don't want this to come off as me sounding sexist, do you think that that is a main part of her job on the team? Is she sort of, for lack of a better term, the operations manager? She seems, she, if, if I was going to give her a title, I, I have a feeling that throughout this movie, we're going to give everybody a title. She's operations and logistics. Not, yeah, yeah. I would not like the word I was thinking of, logistics. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. I mean, like, we haven't talked about this yet because we have we have profiled almost the whole team. We will get to Daniel Roebuck, but not for a little while. Um, it seems like, you know, Sam is the deputy, Cosmo is the deputy deputy. Um, it seems like, it seems like Biggs is kind of like the lead investigator. Like if there's something you got to go find out, you send Biggs. Um, and then Newman, of course, is like the coffee boy. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think Poole as being your logistics, uh, director of logistics makes total sense. Yeah. She gets everything sorted. Like we're going to see her later, like. You know, making phone calls and you know sharing you know information and all kinds of things. So I think she she's like a hub. Yeah, she's a very important member of the team. Yeah, they're all important members, but she's she keeps the she's she's the center of the team. There you go. Now is the time to talk about foot speed and now there's math, mental math. Okay, <laughs> I don't do math. You're the math whiz. Well, all I know, so so this is so this is Gerard's famous. So, so this is where he just stands up and says, "Listen up, you know, fugitive has been on the run for ninety minutes. Average speed over unopen uh, over uneven ground is four miles an hour, which gives us a search radius of six miles. Um, checkpoints go up at you know Disney World and Epcot, and I forget where." Um, I did a little bit of research, and according to the internet, if you're traveling four miles an hour, uh, I mean, like that's that's pretty good time. But I also think that's probably a pretty realistic figure for someone who is literally running for their life. Well, I think he's giving like a like if under the best of circumstances, this is our radius. He's within this somewhere. Or in the worst, I mean, you're saying in the worst case, that's probably as far as we can expect. Well, yeah. Because he says, like you know, barring injury. So I think if like, if he's if he's not injured and he's mobile, this is as far as we think he's going to have gone. Sean, do you think you could do four miles? How long do you think you could escape from the law at four miles an hour? That's a fifteen-minute mile. That's a fifteen-minute mile. I am not in good shape. <laughs> how many miles? How many miles do you think you could put in if you meant you, if you knew it was the difference between you and death by lethal injection? There's a reason that my chosen hiding place is my home. <laughs> but if I had to, you know, my life is on the line. Um, I'm facing, you know, the needle, the gas chamber, the guillotine, the noose. 15 miles an hour? No, no, no not 15 miles an hour. That's how fast you say Bolt. That's how fast Usain Bolt would escape from <laughs> yeah. the electric. No. Um, 15 minute miles. A 15 minute mile. I. I <laughs> Maybe four or five miles. You know, maybe I can keep up that pace for for an hour or an hour and a half. Oh my God, I could not. You know, just if if my pace myself. I mean, the danger is you you have you start off too strong and you burn out. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's a good pace. Like at the school where I work, we have a cross country team, and for sure they run over uneven ground. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's woody ground, Mm -hmm. Um, and they do they do typically a high school where they would do a three k. In like, uh, I would say probably 30 minutes. 
athletes, maybe, maybe less than that, maybe something in the twenties. But they're like high school athletes. They're not Richard Kimball. Yeah, because um, I, I'm I, I'm from the Northeast. Um, me too. And we're we're kind of fast walkers compared <laughs> to some of the other parts of the country. Like I I'm I haven't timed myself. I probably I'm guessing just like if I'm wandering around the mall, I'm doing my you know shopping, I'm walking through the market. I'm probably doing a 15 minute mile. Like, you know, so the only question is how long can I keep it up? I'm generally not walking, you know, for an hour, 90 minutes nonstop, but I'm yeah, short my regular walk. My regular walking pace is probably not too far off of that. Sean, all I can think now that you so told us that story is if, <laughs> if Richard Kimball decided to escape doing Olympic race walking. Have you ever seen that event? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. It's fantastic. Yeah. Those, people, those people move their hips like velociraptors. Yeah. Um, they move their hips in a way that human beings were not meant to walk because like you have to go as fast as possible. But the the rule says that you can you must have one, one foot for, touching the ground at all times. All immediately disqualified. And, and you, have to, you have to straighten the knee on each yeah. stride. What a great this scene. One which produces the hip motion. What a, what a great scene this would have been if we had seen uh, Richard Kimball going down the Miracle Mile <laughs> race walking. That is how he tore a ligament. Five months. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We had to do it in high school, and my high school was right next to a highway. So we would do it out on the track, like where the fields were, alongside the highway. So you've got a bunch of girls in gym shorts walking like that next to the highway. And for the amount of honking that went on. Because men are gross. Misogyny. Yes, right. Because men are gross. So mm-hmm. since you told that story, I'll tell one that's a little more uplifting. When I was in the Boy Scouts, I was in the Boy Scouts of America. My Boy Scout troop did this event, held this event every year called the 40 Miler, where we would literally in one day attempt to go 40 miles, um, which nowadays with people doing ultra marathons and stuff that maybe that doesn't even sound very impressive. But if you're like a 13-year-old boy going four miles in the same day is, is a, or 40 miles in the same day is a lot. Um, I tried, I think, six times. I only finished once, um, and it took me 12 and a half hours. Um, so I was going, I was not moving at Sam Gerard's recommended pace. I guess I was moving at about three miles an hour. Um, but, you know, <laughs> the last seven or eight miles were probably the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the the day after when my body was broken in several places was even harder. <laughs> um, some, there, I believe, I'd have to look it up. I think the record is um, like just under six hours. Wow. Somebody who was like a 17-year-old at the time essentially ran, they ran six, like they ran seven-minute miles 40 times in a row. What? <laughs> like, wow. Bonkers. Wow. Yeah. Does anyone have any other notes for this minute? Um, I do. I just want to add that, you know, as this, these have been pretty score-free minutes this week, but Mm -hmm. as, as uh, Sam begins uh, uh, unleashing the hounds, literally and figuratively, um, we do see the score that comes back. And I also enjoy, we're going to pick this up on Monday, but I do enjoy sort of the intercutting between uh, and we'll see more of this on Monday. But I do enjoy the intercutting between panting, breathless, middle-aged Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, you know, kind of laying down, laying the smack down. I, I enjoy the way that, that that those scenes were cut together. Yep. Well, Sean, what do you, next, Sean, what, what do you think of the score in this movie? James Newton Howard did the score. 
Oh, it's it's very good. Um, you know, it serves the purpose of, um, you know, certainly helps with the suspense and kind of the tension um, where appropriate. I didn't really think about it um, during my recent viewing, which is which is what you want the score to do, um, you know, unless you're specifically watching it for that purpose. If, if you're just watching a movie and you're thinking about the music, um, that's usually not a good thing. That you, <laughs> usually, that usually means it's too much, it's overbearing, it's, you know, you know, kind of pushing too much. Um, but no, I, th I thought it was really good, you know, kind of served the purpose um, without being too obvious. So and I like that score. Good job. That was my last note. Yeah. I've, I've got a couple of things. One, just quickly, I'll I'll, I'll flash back to the, the, the point I made earlier um, in the week. Just when, when they say, you know, he's talking about, um, you know, our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Just the one, singular. Only the one fugitive. You know, all those other prisoners. Yeah. You know, there's some other U.S. Marshal looking for those. I'm just looking for this one. <laughs> um, but kind of, the, but I've, you know, we, we've talked about that. Um, my other big takeaway is so it's been 90 minutes. Like there are so many people. In addition, we know we, we, we've talked about there's obviously, you know, the local sheriff, cops, whatever. There's all the camera crews as, um, you know, as the marshals are walking up to the circle where the cameras are focused, where, you know, the sheriff's talking to the old guard. We see there are people like working, I guess, getting, you know, getting the tracks back together so you know, the trains can start running again. Like this whole thing is lit up. There's, you know, it's a full lot of construction site going on in in the 90 minutes since this accident happened. Like that's quick. They they were they have a response team ready to go. I can barely get ready for work in 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it takes you some days, it takes me 90 minutes just finding my go bag. <laughs> you know, so it's well disguised. You can't find it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I should not have made the bag out of out of the, the wallpaper. Same, out of the same wallpaper. It's in that, that it's in the room, and I can never find it. So, uh, but yeah. So I mean, they've got this whole thing. Um, you know, this whole this whole scene, not just the you know, not just the police and everything, but like the construction, the work, the the lights. What I, I particularly thought about it just in reviewing the minute because we cut to very quickly at the end to a little bit of Harrison Ford running through you know running through the woods and we see the moon i'm guessing it's a full moon it's very bright um i assume that's the moon there's kind of a light behind a tree but uh so i, I kind of cut back some kind but yeah i i think i think that <laughs> might be that might be I, I think that's artificial light from the helicopter that was oddly out of place in a previous minute yeah that we will okay. notice until someone pointed it out <laughs> all right i kind of assumed it was supposed to be the moon and i, and I cut back to see well can we see the moon in the scenes with the U.S. Marshals and everything, but no, you you can't see any moon. Because yeah, I'm at the front It's going on. You're supposed to think it's the moon because it's 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 purposefully obscured by a tree limb. Uh, so there's like, oh, it's the moon, but it's not. It's like huge, huge, like Hollywood's floodlights. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's that's kind of my last thing. That so it's only been 90 minutes, and we're not sure is it 90 minutes since the bus broke down or 90 minutes since it was hit by the train. But in either case, in 90 minutes, all these people got to this site and they got working. Yeah, there are people working on the tracks. There's people welding for some unknown reason. There's all kinds of things going on. All kinds. That's a good point. You know, I never thought about the fact that maybe it was too little time. How much time do you think? I mean, probably the reason why they picked 90 minutes is because 
it scans well when Tommy Lee Jones stands up and has to say 90 minutes. How much time, realistically, how much time from, let's say, I'm going to guess that the clock started when the train hit the bus. I'm going to guess the clock started when the train finished and it came to a halt. How much time do you realistically think it would take to to assemble all of these men and materiel on the scene? Well, so how long is it? Till word gets out that something has happened. I was just going to say, who tells the authorities that a bus has rolled down a steep embankment and probably cannot be seen from the road? Well, and Ol- Olgard uses his iPhone. Oh, wait. <laughs> he, fax- I mean, so the, he faxes the authorities. <laughs> the, the train knows that it has hit something. And yeah. even though the, you know, whoever's driving from the front of the train did, you know, did a Casey Jones. There's someone in the back of the train who's okay, who can kind of call it in. But they have to first determine, okay, there's a train accident. We're going to get emergency crews out and so forth. But then they've got to establish, oh, the train hit something, which um, they probably figured that out right quickly. But they have to figure out the train hit a prisoner bus and the prisoners aren't in it. And now we've got to call Tommy Lee Jones. And how far away is Tommy Lee Jones? How long does it take him? Well, he's in Chicago. So he's like hours away, isn't he? We, we are well, we don't, four hours away. We don't know that he's in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We know that that's where he sets up camp once he realizes right. who he's hunting. Right. Um, but that's a good point, Sean. I'm glad that you've brought this up. Because um, uh, let's let's just charitably assume that they call in the crash in the uh, after once everything has come to a halt. The the guy in the engine in the back. Jim O'Kane did point out to us that this train has two engines and one of them is in the back. And maybe that guy's still alive. We also know that this bus still had 40 minutes to go to get to the prison. Mm -hmm. So presumably they're not going to realize that something um, bad had happened until the bus doesn't show up. Then they have to go and get to this place, which is 40 minutes from nowhere. Um, I think it could have taken them an hour and a half just to realize that there was a, something that they needed to do. Mm -hmm. Because like the train has gone off the rails. Yeah. But where? Does like is the is the guy in the engine at the back able to say with precision where they are? Are they searching? Is that is that why the helicopter's there? That's a good question. Searching for this derailed yeah. train. I think that engineers uh, and conductors are probably very closely tied into where they are at all times. Yeah, like we, seems, we we're at miles seems like we're up the track. Yeah, that just seems like part of the job. Yeah. Um. But wow. Okay, so my original question still stands. Realistically, how many hours do you think it takes to assemble this kind of cast of thousands? Would you say three hours? I think closer to three hours. Okay. I think when you figure in time to figure out that the train hit the prisoner bus, that the prisoners aren't there, the you know it's off hours. You got to get the the media there. Then you've got to. Um, I don't know what point if it's automatic because these not. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about the U.S. Marshals and kind of what their job is in terms of prisoners and so forth. But this is he's not a, a federal prisoner. You know, murder is a, a state level crime. He would have been a prisoner, uh, you know, a, a, a ward of the state mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's a separate like state level agency that would, you know, that would would, would be first kind of in charge of, uh, you know, looking for an escape prisoner if it automatically goes to the federal level. But I think maybe, you know, two and a half, three hours is a more realistic time frame if to, in terms of like when, when are the U.S. Marshals actually showing up on site? Okay, but yeah. you know you know why they settled on 90 minutes? 
because so you got to make the math easier. Well, no, over time is one and a half, and but because Timon Lee Jones only has two hands. If he had to, <laughs> if he had to put up, our fugitive has been on the run for, uh, you know, uh, three hours. That gives us an uh, average speed over uneven ground is four miles an hour, which gives us a search radius of twelve miles. He would have had to have like. He would have had to have like a men in black third arm growing out of his chest in order that's to what make God that. for. Like that's that it, you can make six with yeah. your two hands. You yeah. can't make twelve unless you kind of start counting in like binary. Okay. But so it's got it, it's gotta be ninety because Tommy Lee Jones only has two hands. Sure. <laughs> okay. Sure. I buy it. I buy it. Are there any other notes for minute twenty-four? So on this Friday, Sean, we usually ask our guests. Uh-oh. Uh, this is an easy one. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't don't worry. I don't I want you to be comfortable, Sean. Okay. So we ask our we ask our guests on a Friday, if you weren't covering these minutes, what minutes would you like to cover? What other parts of the movie do you enjoy the most? What are your go-to minutes for this movie? Yeah, what's your go bag of minutes for the future? <laughs> wow. <laughs> your safe bag. Go bag of minutes. <laughs> well, that's a hard question. Because these are some really good minutes. This you got me a good week here. Um, this is good. Next week it's going to be good. There's going to be you've got, you've got three good minutes coming up next week. Um, the the um, the uh, St. Patrick's Day parade. If I was going to go, if you say like it can't be last week or next week or anything around here, it's got to be like a different section of the film. Um, I think we fast forward to that that St. Patrick's Day parade. Um, I think that, is a, be- that is a popular choice. Yeah, those are those are good minutes. Isn't it? Are you looking into the future right now, Roger? That it's a popular choice. <laughs> well, I know that a lot of people. Uh, no, I think a lot of people uh, have so far have said that they really enjoyed the St. Patrick's Day parade. It's a it's a good set of scenes. Um, mm-hmm. Sean, I'm you still know. amazed that the, the the Chicago still to this day dyes the river green. Yeah, why can't they dye it blue? The other why can't they dye it days of the year? Sean, did you know that? Um, I mean, that's a real St. Patrick's Day parade that they just kind of infiltrated for filming. I did not know that. That is not a real filming. That is not some <laughs> Ferris Bueller BS. There, that is actually. And so, when 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 someone looks to the right and does a double take because they see that it's Han Solo, that's a real honesty. Like that's real. It's Han. And like, please tell me, like they didn't have permits. They totally went gorilla. They were just like Harrison, run into that parade. That's what I said too. That's what I think is true. I'll tell you what, I forget because I have notes for that minute, but we haven't got there yet. When we get there, um, I, we will be sure to thoroughly investigate whether or not they. Had like that, that everybody they just knew they were going to be there, or did they just decide, hey, we're just going to catch some found footage here? Yeah, and I, I'm I'm guessing like a, a a production of this size, um, you know, this is not an independent film that they they had permits and you know had straightened everything out, but certainly, yeah, very they're you know, but the you know the the guys on the street, the people walking in the parade, wouldn't necessarily necessarily have been told. Yeah, they're like that's Han Solo when I walk for crowd. Yeah, generally surprised. <laughs> but that's I and I so that I I love those minutes even more knowing that now. That's even better. <laughs> I do. I I love. Yeah, I didn't even know. I love when Tommy J- Lee Jones does his little hippity hop because he's trying to like see over. But he bounces. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 bagpipers try to find yeah. his. Pr- I want a gif of that. <laughs> Probably exists. Oh man. So, Sean, for the very last time this week, 
tell us where our listeners can hear you talk about Movies by Minute and other subjects. Well, yeah. So uh, I've been Sean German, and you may know me from uh, such minutes as uh, The Fugitive, Minute 22. Um, Fugitive <laughs> Go back, Minute. <laughs> um, but no, so uh, my current show is uh, Next Scene Podcast, covering pop culture one scene at a time. You can find that at nextscenepod.com, at nextscenepod on the social media. Uh, our Facebook group is the Jelly of the Month Club. Um, you can find all my podcast stuff at catandshawn.org. From there, I link to my previous Movie by Minutes projects, including Spinal Tap Minute and Groundhog Minute, where we covered um, Groundhog Day, but we can't call it Groundhog Day Minute because putting two time words in front of each other just didn't sound right. So I called it Groundhog Minute. Um, and all my other stuff, my guest appearances, and I've got some other hobby stuff that I do that's on the site. So um, it's, you know, it can... You can find that, you can listen to it, you can see it, you can hear it, you can taste it. It's all there. So check that out. So John, I just want to say, yeah, yeah, so thank you so much for, for coming on this week. It's just really been a pleasure again. Um, I hope we can get you back um, for at least three more minutes uh, in the back half of the movie. There's a lot of movie left. There's more than 100 minutes of movie left. So I hope we can find three more for you um, mm -hmm. so you can come back and share your your wit and wisdom again. Yes. Sure, I said Always love coming by. So yeah, if there's if there's opening, if there's room for me, if there's uh yeah, there will be to that. <laughs> there will. Be. So thank you to Sean and thank you to you listeners once again for another great episode of the One Armed Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. We will shout out any five star reviews on these here airwaves. Come and join us with your go bag on uh, Facebook at Tempest Fugitive, the One Armed Minute search team. And we're also on social media at One Armed Minute. And you can email us at onearmedminute uh, at gmail.com. <laughs> so remember, until next time. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care.